Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we are going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. I'd like to thank our sponsor, The Money Nerve, a financial resource that helps you have a healthier relationship with money. Do you feel shame around your past financial decisions? Do you feel alone in your financial struggles? Do you self-sabotage your potential financial successes? Do you keep making the same choices, expecting different results? The Money Nerve has just launched a new online course called The Course to Financial Freedom. To learn more, go to themoneynerve.com forward slash course. The Money Nerve has an offer to all Money You Should Ask listeners for a 25% discount on the course. Use code capital M, capital Y, capital S, capital A, 25, and start your course to financial freedom now. And thanks again to our sponsor, The Money Nerve. So today, I feel super privileged to have with us Nadia Okamoto. At age 16, she founded Period, a global nonprofit organization that provides feminine feminine hygiene products to the homeless. Um, You've written a book, Period Power, a Manifest for the Menstrual Movement. Uh, at 19, she was honored by L'Oreal Paris's annual philanthropic program as a woman of worth honoree, which came with a $35,000 grant. And you also ran for city council as a sophomore at Harvard. So I first heard about you when I was at a bar mitzvah up in Portland <laughs> that uh, for a young man who was attending Catlin Gable. Yes. And I had just returned from Africa and had learned about how young women's lack of access to feminine hygiene products impacted their ability to complete their education. And so I was sharing this story with a parent and was pondering the question, did these young kids understand their privilege? And she said, you have got to hear about this woman, Nadia. She went to the school and she's doing amazing things for women. And so I looked you up and here we are. Yes, here we are. So I am fascinated by the fact that at 16 you started this organization. Your parents, your mom went to Harvard. Yeah. And she graduated from Columbus Law School. Columbia. Columbia, sorry. Yes. Columbia, yes. And and then you found yourself without a home at 15. Yeah. Well, and I think that for the context on the question of did we recognize our privilege at Catlin Gable, you have to understand like the context of the double life I was living when I was a freshman. Right. So Catlin Gable, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a small but like the most exclusive, most expensive private school on the Pacific Northwest. Right. It's this day school in Beaverton, Portland, Oregon. And I was like the scholarship kid where like I was the speaker at the auction to represent what financial did for the school and you know was kind of in many ways like the face of that scholarship program and so I ended up going to the school on scholarship and when I was a freshman in high school my mom ended up parting ways with her job and we entered what I call our time of transition which was essentially several months of you know living without a home of our own couch surfing with our closest friends and I think that you know I get the question a lot of like 
okay, but how is it that like you go to Harvard or Columbia and then you end up homeless essentially, right? And I think that there is this misconception of like going to those schools means financial success. But I think that financial success is, is such a, it's not like hoops you jump through to get there. And I think also at the same time, you know, I grew up with domestic violence and sexual abuse in my family that I think really put my family into a circumstance where my mom really had to protect my sisters and I, and that did come at a financial cost. Um, in the end. And so we ended up in Portland and, you know, I, we were in this kind of tough financial unstable situation and it was rough. But at the end of the day, like, as you said, it was sort of the birth of a lot of passions that I had around reconciling my privilege through service leadership and everything. Now that's amazing. And I think you're so right that people think because you went to Harvard or that you, that you must have a glamorous life it's a life of ease and then everything just happens and it's that's so not true you still have to show up you still have to do the work and certainly those going to harvard hopefully has opened doors for you yeah but it's not like you've lived a charmed life from that aspect well i mean from a money perspective i mean i think that I I mean, yes, maybe from a money perspective, I think going to Harvard or, you know, a school like that, which is, you know, the most well-endowed university in the world, it gives you a lot of other things, right? So I think my mom is, like, the wealthiest person I know in terms of her, like, academic mindset, right? Right. And I think that in that sense, like, having a mom, like, I, I grew up, it was this interesting, weird life of, like, having a, you know, not being super financially advantaged, but also at the same time having a mom who, like, researched everything, pushed me to learn everything, like always prioritizing education. And so even when we were in this rough time and like in and out of the poverty line, like my mom knew that she was going to have me go to like Catlin Gable, right? Which is, you know, this, this really, really kind of notable institution. Um, and I, I think I was also privileged in the sense of when it came to college admissions, um, I, there was like not a doubt in my mind that I couldn't apply to Harvard, right? And I think that um, that's very unique for a lot of low-income students. And I ended up going to Harvard on, you know, like a full ride with financial aid. Um, but, and I think that from, but it was interesting because I think I had to kind of relearn my own relationship with money because part of my dad's abuse with me and my sisters was manipulation around money. Um, and so it was something where I had to learn because suddenly I was entering the nonprofit world and I was trying to start a nonprofit and it was like, at first it was like getting anyone to donate like $2, $5, and now we're like a over a one million dollar organization, right? And I'm, you know, running a company that's uh, I, I actually run a company outside of period as well called Juve Consulting. And it was like my whole relationship with now we're gonna run a company where we work with over forty Fortune five hundred companies as a bunch of young people. And then it was like, oh, and now I'm gonna build a speaking career and start doing modeling and brand deals and sign to big talent agencies. And it was kind of like relearning that relationship for myself. And how did you do it? Like how did you go from, okay, a $2 donation to this multi-million dollar company, a second company, like, how did you, what (laughs) mistakes did you make? What did you? Yeah. I mean, I don't really fucking know. Like, I think that, (laughs) I think that in a lot of ways, like when I started my organization, I had no idea what I was doing, right? I was like Googling what is a nonprofit and what is the IRS and what is a board of directors. And I think that really comes from like the, the narrative that my mom fed me, right? It was like, even if we're in these tough situation, if you don't know something, like go Google it, right? And if you don't have access to mentorship, like go cold email someone. And that's something that I think a lot of my wealthier peers did not have, right? Like I, when I started a nonprofit when I was 16, all my peers at Cal and Gable, like, 
they didn't even like pay it any attention because they were like what the like what like right. it wasn't even like i think catlin gable is a school where kids do not realize their privilege in a lot of senses right it's a school where like they try to push service leadership but the service is like cleaning your own school's backyard right so right. it was kind of like i think that when i started doing this it was like really out of the ordinary um for my peers and and so i didn't really know what i was doing but i i think that what my mom instilled in me is like even if we don't know what we're doing we're gonna do it anyways right so at first it was like okay get period products so we need to buy period products so we're gonna go raise money and so then i was like trying to raise money for anyone who for, to, from anyone who would listen i got in trouble once from going through the Cat and Gable directory and handwriting to the richest parents that I knew of. And like, eventually it was like, oh, I went online. I found every pitch competition in the area. I won all of them and then started with a few thousand dollars. And then it was like, oh, I'm going to cold email like the CMO of like P&G every Friday at 3 p.m. Or I'm like going to cold email these people. I'm just going to hustle and network. And then I started asking them, you know, I want this much money. I want this much product. And then I realized I could monetize social media. And then it became like, I'm going to charge this company like 30 40k for like this and i started realizing what are the different pathways as a gen zer and like reckon and you know when i started youth activism isn't what it is today right it wasn't like march for our lives malala when i started it was like kind of getting getting there still and so yeah. it was a lot of like just kind of figuring it out try and go and we failed a lot right like i look back now we have these galas where you know we started raising like 250 300k but when i started i remember our first fundraiser we profited one thousand dollars and i cried i was like so that is the most money i'd ever seen and this was like four years ago and i think that when i started it i was just so excited that anyone was interested in periods because it's such a stigmatized thing yeah right absolutely and do you would you say like your mom sounds like a very strong woman yeah um do you come from a history of strong women that like advocate for women or i mean i think that so i mean i don't really have a relationship with my grandparents so like my family is like my mom and my two younger sisters and so okay. I think I grew up in a strong, like, four-person household of strong women. Yeah. And I think that, like, I saw my mom in terms of, like, how much she protected and sacrificed to protect us. Um, you know, my little sister, she's, like, an artist, social justice activist. My other sister is, like, 16 and winning international competitions now for opera singing. Like, I think, like, my mom, even though we grew up kind of, like, scrimping and saving like she really pushed us to to go into our passion so I was like pre-Juilliard piano Alvin Ailey dance in New York when I was younger and like even now like I think that I think that's also why like I kind of in a career sense consider myself a hybrid right like I run this nonprofit. I like I'm chief brand officer at a company called Juve Consulting we just opened up headquarters in Times Square and like and now I'm starting a new company and we're raising like our first money from like angel investors and so it's been kind of a I think I have this entrepreneurial spirit where I've like never I've never felt like I had to choose one thing. You know, I've, I think yeah. I've always sort of felt like, okay, I can do whatever I want. And as long as I'm balanced and I build really incredible teams around it. And where do you get your passion? Where do you get your energy? 
I mean, I think that the the idea of period poverty just makes me really angry and so you know people ask me a lot like how I never feel like I want to give up and I'm like I want to give up from a personal standpoint but then I read the news and I I remember how much gender inequality still exists and I realize that of all poverty related issues this one feels very solvable and I I just feel motivated to keep going right so like the fact that I can say like periods are the number one reason why girls miss school in developing countries right the fact that we can say in the U.S. there's still 30 states that have a sales tax on period products considering them luxury items. Products like Rogaine, Viagra, PL pumps are considered essential goods. And the exciting thing is, when I started, we were at 40 states and now we're at 30. And our network just took it down in Ohio, Utah, Washington, California. And I think we're excited to keep it going. But and, and, you know, now my organ when we started, it was like me and a friend, and now we're over 750 campus chapters at universities and high schools in all 50 states and 40 countries. But I think that when I started, I, I think I'm still this, like, 16-year-old girl who's just, like, so excited people want to talk to me about periods. And that really sort of came to fruition when I published my first book, too. Well, it's awesome. But I, I know for me, when I was going to Africa and I said, what can I bring? And they said, bring over two suitcases full of girls' underwear without any context. And I went, yeah, that sounds weird. And I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And then when I got there and they explained it, of course, I felt horrible that I didn't bring yeah. over and help. But I think because they felt stigmatized to talk about it, um, they didn't give me the full details. Yeah. No, yeah, and I think, I think that that's why, I mean, it's 2020 and period poverty is still an issue, even though people have been menstruating since the beginning of humankind, because it's so stigmatized, right? And so I think when we started, we realized that this was a much greater than, need than we even thought, because people feel uncomfortable asking for period products, they feel uncomfortable giving period products, and so there's this never-ending cycle of stigma that leaves the need completely unaddressed. And how did you get into other countries? I know you're in Botswana. Social media. Because that, okay. Like, I, we've actually never done, like, I mean, I travel all the time for speaking, but beyond that, it was really just, um, you know, we, we use social media from a really early stage to just do outreach, and so social media is absolutely kind of the biggest way we were able to. So how do I get you to Zimbabwe? They, as long as we, you know, connect with the community on the ground, um, that's kind of how we love to do it. I think I have a very um, critical look on on international aid, right? I think that especially as a U.S. teen, I reconcile, I recognize the privilege that I have, but I also recognize like the ignorance that I have, right? Like I think I see a lot of organizations that take resources and dump them in an international community in need. And then there's like no education, there's no cultural introduction to what the products are. And so I think how we do work internationally is we work with a group of young people who's really passionate and, you know, on this work on the ground. And then we're able to be like, okay, you take the, um, you know, things that we're able to give you and you do with it what you will, right? And we really follow the lead of like young organizers on the ground. That's awesome. What do you want your footprint, your legacy to be with all this work that you're doing? all the work you're doing. I mean, I don't really, I, it's so interesting because I think that I, I get asked a lot of like, how does it feel to be like a young career person? And I, I'm like 22, I'm 22. And I think I still feel like on the inside, I'm just figuring out what I want to do in life. And so I'm not really sure what my legacy, I want my legacy to be. I know that I'm really passionate about gender equality and I'm really mm -hmm. passionate about youth activism. And I like my life mission is not necessarily like achieving a certain goal. It's just mm -hmm. like, how can I maximize what I can do for the world in with whatever I have? Do you find 
because I feel like it's related um, because there is such uh, gender poverty uh, inequality. Um, do you find financial education might be an important aspect for young women to start to empower themselves? Um, obviously getting educated first. Yeah. Um, but it feels like, like, you know, senior women are more likely to be in poverty than men um, across all racial and ethnic divides. Yeah. Women are uh, yeah. higher. I mean, yeah, women and children are the fastest growing population within, like, poverty, right? And I think that, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Like, first of all, like, I mean, I know from, you know, watching my parents go through a divorce, like, I think the system has been built by men to serve men, right? And so I think it, there's so much that comes with how are we going to achieve gender equality? It's like electing female representatives who under the female experience, which about, like, you know, you know, pushing women to higher seats of power to kind of design what these systems are. Um, and I think it's also create like understanding like what the needs of women and children are and building systems that serve them equally. Right. Um, I think on a financial literacy perspective, not only for women, but like financial literacy is something that I think our country does not teach young people. Like the fact that when I started making money when I was like 17 and I was working like six jobs when I was a freshman at Harvard, I was like six jobs, like hustling, try. And then my organization started paying me and then I started, but like there was no teaching young, like my, my grade of like how to write a check, how to run a bank account, what taxes are, right? How to pay taxes. And I think that this, there's this element of financial literacy that I do think there needs to be some sort of solution to teaching young people. Um, because I mean, I think I'll be the first person to say of like, we live in a capitalist system. And as much as I believe in this like idealistic socialist change, we can't get there until like we, as people who want to make that change, have some of that power to change the system. Right. And so I think Absolutely. that I, I, I think I, I see it, it and it's kind of hard because you see a lot of this tension, especially on like the progressive young people side of like, I don't want to be wealthy or I don't want to make money. And then I'm like, if you don't make money and you don't monetize what you're doing, you're going to work multiple jobs to be able to do the activist work you want to do. So like go get paid for the work you want to do, you know? Right. And I think that I, that's something I really believe in, especially for young people. And I see it all the time. Like as young people start creating nonprofits, right, which has become more trendy and trendy to get into college or whatever, first of all, do it for the right reasons, but also, like, how you're going to make it last is with financial sustainability, right? Like, the only yeah. reason I'm able to grow into what we are is because I don't take advantage of volunteers to work full-time jobs anymore, right? We pay people what they're worth so that they right. will actually be able to do this job. And I think that's something you don't see in a lot of social movements. And a lot of social movements that aren't able to figure out how to monetize their work, suddenly they're, like, not paying their people to do their work and then it's like it kind of is this never-ending system yeah no absolutely well as a as a sibling with four sisters i'm definitely about women's power and supporting uh that cause love that thank you much. so much <laughs> absolutely well where can people find you on social media i know at, we're getting out of time yeah at nadia okamoto or at period movement on social media and if you want to learn more or give to period you just go you just go to period.org well, that sounds awesome. We're going to post all your information. Uh, I just want to say to our listeners, please don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. Nadia, thank you so much for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your cause, and I want to help get the word out as well. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.